0: Hi, this is Peter Bart
1: and this is Mike Fleming.
0: On this Deadline podcast, we'll be offering up some news and information and hopefully some insights on film and the media and all the other stuff that is rudely called content. And some guests will occasionally come by, Mike, to chime in and offer their thoughts and dissents. So I thought we'd talk a bit about the tyranny of the tomato this morning. You're familiar with that phenomenon, Mike. The Hollywood studios are becoming more and more paranoid, and rightly so, about Rotten Tomatoes, the organization that aggregates the opinions of critics around the country and puts out ratings just as a movie is opening or is about to open. And the opinion of Of many distributors, a bad score on Rotten Tomatoes or or its rival Metacritic can doom a show uh, like Valerian, King Arthur, and Mummy, and and even Mother, the new apocalyptic film starring Jennifer Lawrence. What, What do you feel about Tomatoes, Mike?
1: Well, I think it has been a shock to the system. If I was a film reviewer, I don't think I would love it because basically, um, you know, they, they would basically be taking all of my prose and boiling, it, boiling me down uh, to a little bit of uh, uh, an aggregate um, glass of juice. And, uh, and, and so what I actually feel about a movie and all of its nuances, I think, would be lost. As for studios, Look, it's been a long time since studios were able to hide a bad movie and squeeze a good weekend uh, because the public didn't realize what they were getting into. So this is just uh, an acceleration of that you know of that phenomenon
0: well, and and you and I both remember the days when a a single critic or two or three critics would really, be able to become like the rabbi of a movie. And and some films, remember, going back to Bonnie and Clyde, needed a rabbi. They needed one voice to say, this movie is great. And they could hang their hat on that. Instead, what we now have is a chorus. And is the chorus qualified to to really evaluate pictures?
1: Well, I wonder if a critic like Pauline kale who filmmakers listen to, would even be heard over the din. There are so many bloggers, um, and you don't need to be licensed to have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Uh, and all of these and, and, and all of these people are basically um, thumbs up and thumbs down in films and I wonder but you don't feel the care and the love that for instance I used to like when I watched Siskel and Ebert dissect a movie and then render an opinion. They cared about it, they talked about it, they parsed it, and it was and they had a they and they had a, an encyclopedic knowledge of what came before. I don't, all that stuff is now lost. We move at such a fast clip. I wonder how many people who go see these movies nowadays even read a review.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I was discussing this the other day with Paul Rudnick, who writes a lot for The New Yorker, who's done some screenplays, some really good good theater. And Rudnick's answer to the proliferation of mediocre critics was he invented a faux critic named Libby Gelman Waxner, who wrote for Premiere and then Entertainment Weekly. You remember her. And, yeah. and what she would do is she delivered these these faux reviews that were gossipy and bitchy and very funny, like if she were reviewing Mother, if she was writing today, uh, she would have commented on, how did Jennifer Lawrence's perfect hairdo survive like four apocalypses and, and three gang rapes? And why was she perfectly intact? And why, for that for that matter, did mother look like it was shot in a restoration hardware store? Uh, but anyway, he he, I always enjoyed this faux critic Libby, and and uh, Paul finally closed her down after a few minutes, or years. But she was a good answer to uh, I think some of the critics that we get today.
1: Yes. Well, what did and what does Paul think about this phenomenon?
0: Paul thinks that once again, I think he would agree with you and I that that. the value of three or four important critics as far exceeds that of this Anvil Chorus uh, that is having really a a tough effect on people. And also, I think you made an interesting point. How do you you boil down a critic's opinion to a pro or con? It seems to me so many people today do hedge their bets a bit because they're confused. Also, listen, I'm not a big fan of superhero pictures. I don't know whether you say yes or no to it to like Suicide Squad. You and I argued about that last year. I thought it was just a total mess. I thought Pirates of the Caribbean was unwatchable, but it did what, nine hundred million dollars?
1: Well, I thought Suicide Squad had, the introduction of the villains, I thought was was inspired. I think the third act, you know, the the wheels kind of fall off, but I find that happens in every movie, really, including mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, which was um, which was, uh, I don't know, I, it's, it borders on reverence really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it still ends up with this big it's like those old Power Rangers TV shows where you have where you have these actors mm-hmm. acting and then at the end they have these giant robots. Uh, colliding, and that's the, uh, and that's that's usually what happens at the end of these superhero movies because you know the stakes uh, uh, are, are so high and colossal, and the world's going to end unless these guys stop these bad guys. I mean, it is it is it is very it is very derivative, but the problem that studios have. Um, among many problems, is with this uh, Rotten Tomatoes and these other th- things that basically doom um, or, or at least ding movies before they come out of the gate, is if you look at other, other uh, um, distribution opportunities like Netflix, now their movies don't get as hard a time. Um, and those movies they put out without giant P&A spends. Um, and, uh, and, and we don't even know whether the Netflix movie is a flop or a hit because they simply don't tell us how many people have seen it. So it it is one of the many issues that that are facing um, studios. But I did an interview with Matthew Vaughn recently who directed uh, the Kingsman sequel, which I quite liked. And he said, basically the answer is, you, you gotta make good movies. You have to make movies that are not derivative um, and that basically take characters uh, that you like and broaden them and flesh them out and put them on new adventures that you wanna see. And, um, and
0: that's the bottom line. Well, Matthew Vaughn's a great character. I find a very funny guy, and, and I like his picture as well. What worries me, though, is that I have been seeing a number of films lately, indie films, that don't have uh, the, the cell behind it like, um, like Matthew's picture has. And he, films like Breathe or Brad's Status or Salinger or Patty Cake's these interesting independent pictures that may not get an A-plus uh, on, on tomatoes, but still they, they need to be encouraged. They're good movies. They have small little amounts of promotion money behind them. And I think more and more these inter- interesting indie pictures are getting lost uh, because of the tyranny of the tomato.
1: Well, I'm not sure that it has anything to do with the ratings. I think in the case of a movie like Patty Cakes, that was a film that um, maybe the expectations were overly heightened because the the film sold for what I believe was about $12 million in Sundance. But it is a difficult movie to sell, just the same way that Me and Earl and the Dying Girl was a difficult movie to sell. The independent films, they have... um, they have great challenges of their own because it's just so hard to to make noise for yourself. I I just came from Toronto and saw a couple of movies and 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 broke a bunch of deal stories about them. Um, and so I I'm looking forward to I Tanya, which I thought was a really really uh, a fine movie that's going to get a big Oscar season release. Uh, Margot Robbie plays Tanya Harding and Sebastian Stan plays her husband Jeff Galuli and. Allison Janney plays uh, Tanya Harding's mother in a, in a, in a surefire Oscar-nominated role. And you come out of that movie laughing, um, even though the action is, is just so... Dark. It's very much like Fargo or To Die For, and then you had uh, Chappaquiddick, the you know the the, the Ted Kennedy uh, debacle film, and Jason Clark is a dead ringer for 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 a young Ted Kennedy. And the surprise to me was how much sympathy I felt for Tanya Harding and how much I detested Senator Kennedy <laughs> after the after that film.
0: Well, once again, coming out of Toronto, you you there's this chorus. Uh, about what is going to be an Oscar favorite. I'm always suspicious about what makes an Oscar favorite. Is it that has one good screening at a festival? Or once again, does it get a good tomato score? Or is it just manipulative? Um, But I I think that there's so many interesting pictures, uh, again, like Salinger, that opened uh, at Sundance, in this case, and didn't get uh, a terrific rating and was re-edited and I thought turned out to be a really interesting film but again the festival circuit uh in a way prevented it from becoming a quote Oscar favorite how much manipulation is there in this Oscar favorite business
1: well I mean but let's take what you just said about the the Salinger movie by Danny Strong now when you put a movie out at a festival you have to accept that that the likelihood that it's going to be a final grade now it doesn't always happen like that. For instance, uh, the movie Wind River, that played at Sundance and then it came back and it played at Cannes and and the movie was I think maybe about 8 minutes tighter, changes were made, uh, a couple of characters were strengthened and I have to say that's one of my favorite movies um of the year by the by you know the directing date uh, debut of Taylor Sheridan who uh who wrote uh, Hell or High Water, which I thought was, uh, and and uh, Sicario, which I thought were two just horrific films. So, you know, so all this front-runner bluster stuff, it's got to be on the screen. We knew when, I knew when I saw Spotlight at, at its Toronto premiere that that was a special, special movie. We all felt the same way about La La Land and Moonlight. I mean, it's got to be on the screen.
0: Well, I know that there, there are times, Mike, when I see you, get behind a picture and I feel as part of you that would like to have been a film critic uh, i know both you and i would have been terrible film critics
1: oh i like too many movies and, and i and i, and and I, I dislike s- too many movies and see? i and I, I i see the challenges and i i enjoy uh, watching the creative decisions and how they unfold and i i don't know i but i do like probably way too many movies in fact deadline readers uh, have often commented that i have my head uh, uh up well in an undesirable place when it comes to evaluating film.
0: see in my problem is the opposite sometimes i have an Attitude about a director, like I hated Robert Altman's pictures except for Nashville, and, and part of it is that we always kept fighting whenever we had the misadventure of having doing a picture together, and so I go in with a sometimes with a negative attitude about it, about a filmmaker that colors my review. And you being a much nicer person than I, you come in with a positive attitude about some filmmakers and are prepared to like their work. So. That's fine with me. I'm just glad neither of us are film critics because that's a punishing way to make a living.
1: Um, Yes, but we would be able to be a drop of tomato juice in an all-important aggregate that that makes or breaks films these days.
0: That's a bad tomato joke, but I get it.